0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week we're doing something a little bit different here on the show, and regular listeners of our Gear 30 podcast have probably caught the first couple of episodes of what we are calling Gear Therapy that we've done over there, talking with couple of blister members about their ski gear needs and we are firing up the bike version of that over here this week. So I sat down with fellow blister reviewer Simon Stewart to talk to blister member Andy Majewski about his bike setup and some of the evolution that he's gone through over the years and we chat about where he might go with his quiver going forward some wheel upgrades, and a whole bunch more stuff that we get into along the way. And if you're listening to this and thinking, gee, I'd like to come on, well, if you're an active Blister member, drop us an email with a couple of the questions that you might want to ask on a future episode, and if we get some good things lined up, we'll keep these rolling. So shoot us an email if you're interested, and check out the format here, because we got a really good conversation with Simon Stewart and Andy Majewski coming right up. So let's get right into it. Well, Simon, Andy, great to sit down for our first bike centric edition of Gear Therapy here. And, uh, well, long time Westerners will know Simon, our fellow bike reviewer, but Andy, welcome on, and uh, how about you just introduce yourself, tell us about where you live, what you ride, all that kind of stuff.
1: Sure. I'm 42 years old. I got into mountain biking nine years ago at the urging of my brother, who no longer mountain bikes, Um, and I know it was nine years ago because I just looked back up and found the first Craigslist ad I sent him to say, hey, is this a good bike or not? And uh, anyways, I live uh, about 30 minutes south of San Francisco on the coast. Um, I'm lucky enough to live about like three blocks or so from a park with some pretty fun trails that we've built there. I actually didn't know they were there before we moved there. and uh, They've been growing out ever since and been lucky enough to get the county to build a pump track at the park there too. So... I mean, it's got all the usual Bay Area issues, bike access and all that stuff, but where I live isn't isn't too bad.
0: Hang on, I want to just pause and uh, follow up on that first bit, though. So what was this first uh, Craigslist bike from nine years ago? And did you end up buying that one, I guess? Or where did you wind up starting off? I
1: did buy that one. It was a 2011 Stump Jumper... I think pro it was uh 26 inch. I think it was two by nine or two by 10. Uh, I don't even remember what the suspension was on it. It was aluminum. I don't think that it had a dropper post. I remember getting one pretty quickly after that. I rode that bike for about a year and, um, once I sort of decided that yeah I wanted to be into mountain biking, I gave that one to my dad and bought something off of uh, backcountry. It looked cool, but you know, in reality, wasn't a great bike, and started the uh, the two year cycle of upgrades.
2: Nice. I was like, I was trying to remember how long it's been since we've had 26 inch wheels. So nine years ago, I'm assuming that bike you bought was a few years old already off of Craigslist. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was, I think it was two years old or so.
2: I, I The Craigslist ad
1: from what I remember looking at it, it was like 1200 bucks. It seemed like a lot of money at the time.
2: Yeah. But the question is your, your brother got you into mountain biking. What was he riding at the time?
1: Oh, I don't remember. Um, I think he had like a niner. He's quite a bit taller than me. I'm five eight, and he's like six two or so. And I think that he was on, he was either on a Niner or he had just gotten a. No, I think he got it a little bit later. I, I, I know that he still has like his last mountain bike. It was a uh, a Heckler, the last of those single pivot single pivot ones, and uh, sitting there rusting in his garage.
0: Yeah. Well. Kind of funny how that works out then that you've stuck with it and it's fallen by the wayside for him. But, uh, well, Andy, I mean, you've been through a bit of an evolution of your bike quiver in the last bit. And we've had a few conversations about that over the last couple of years. So I guess just to start off, tell us about where you're at right now as far as your bike quiver and where you've ended up.
1: Yeah, so I actually recently upgraded Uh, After talking to you guys, mostly David, I think, um, I was looking for a new longer travel bike. I kind of get along better with those just because being, you know, typical advanced but not awesome uh, dad rider. um, (laughs) I don't ride like a bunch of super chunky stuff regularly, but when I do, you know, it's nice to have it to take off the edge and I don't get crazy air, and again, when I do, it's nice to have a little bit of cushion. Um, and, you know, I don't know, we're old and joints hurt and stuff like that. So uh, I, I've generally gelled better with like sort of bikes more on the Enduro side of the spectrum. Um, so I, I ended up with recently a uh, Santa Cruz Nomad 6. I bought that as a frame set and like moved most of my parts over. And then we're sort of playing around with the shock on that, and then I got that in February. Um, and for Christmas, I got a my first e bike, a um, Specialized Levo Comp, and I mostly got that because it was on sale, and like the the sale bike was cheaper than the frame kit by like two thousand dollars, and I'm like, okay, I can sell all those crappy parts and put on exactly what I want.
2: Yeah. Still on sale, by the way, <laughs> still on sale.
1: And I've seen yeah. a lot of them out on the trail.
2: Uh, and um, not co- well, coincidentally, but that's the, uh, the same spec that we have in for a current uh, turbo Libra review bike. And I have some opinions on some of the stock parts, but,
1: but yeah, coming from uh, coming before the nomad, uh, I had a gorilla gravity that started out as a smash. Uh, then I, changed it over to, uh, Nirvana, and then I changed it into a mega trail mullet and being five, eight with not like terribly long legs. I like, um, I, I like the idea of a mullet, the mega trail, it wasn't a great one. And when David did a road trip, I think it was a summer or so ago down here, we did a ride and we chatted a little bit about it. And, um, I think what I mostly didn't get on in terms of the mullet setup on that bike was the really short chainstay it like really squares off the corners and both those both the levo and the nomad have much longer chainstays than their mullets but like they corner a lot more naturally so um i i can ride 29ers i've ridden them before it's mostly just to avoid butt buzz because there's a on my regular trails there's a couple of like steep roll ins or something where the real rear wheel floats up and leaves marks on my shorts.
0: We had a bit of a chat I think it was last summer and um kinda of had some back and forth about a variety of things and after that and uh well I guess the nomad would have come out a little later in the year after we'd met up, but uh yeah, I was some back and forth ended up with one of those. And I guess to start it off, I mean, how's that working out?
1: It's working out really well. Uh, and, you know, in terms of like bike acquisitions, it's funny, like when you start out, you have no idea what you're looking for. And you're asking someone for it. And then you just kind of like it's this idea of like, oh, well, these are like the buzzwords or the trendy things or these brands are recognizable. And that's what you start buying on your next bike. And then you start to get an idea about oh well, I want this kind of thing. and Over the years, you sort of build on more and more on, like, the technical knowledge, or at least I did. I I know guys that have been riding bikes for a long time and still can't set up their suspension. But I think the biggest thing was besides, like, just the rear end feeling of that, there was – I always had a hell of a time with um, my feet getting sore when descending through, like, fast brake bumps on the, on the mega trail. And, you know, I played around with the shock a whole bunch. I had, um, I ran air shocks on that and I had, uh, an EXT Storia, which is a nice shock. And I had it tuned for that bike. I ran like my, my buddy's data acquisition system and I could never really get it to, to feel good under my feet. And then I got the Levo and rode it and it just like completely ironed out the exact same trails and I think what I narrowed it down to was the anti-rise like because and it wasn't really well documented on the gorilla gravity but I again super nerdy I like plugged that bike info into linkage and generated the graphs to sort of see what was going on in there back when I was like puzzling over like how to make the bike better and it had pretty high anti-squat and anti-rise, like more around like hundred percent. And like the Levo, it's more around like the typical specialized, like 60-ish percent. And so I think what was happening is that like it wants to sit down on the rear when you're breaking through those chunky sections and then your feet are just like pounding into the pedals. And the Nomad, the way that their curve kind of goes is like, the anti-rise and the anti-squat start real high and then they drop off as it goes into the travel on those VPP bikes. And so like when you're, when you're sort of starting to really activate the suspension, it like it frees up the rear end and I don't have that same problem. That I was having. So, um, you know, the head angle and the reach and all that stuff, they're all about the same, but the rear ends a bit longer and the kinematics are a lot better and I'm just, every time I ride that bike, I just have a smile on my face that like it handles so well and it's way more bike than
2: I need, but that's cool. (laughs) I'm getting a smile on my face just hearing that. (laughs) Like rewind just for a second. Did, when you and David were having conversations when you had the mega, uh, yeah, the mega towers, mega trail, excuse me, um, were, was that one of the things you were chatting about was that exact issue about your feet hurting and so forth?
1: Yeah. And we, we even had some conversations. I'm a flat pedal rider, and I had conversations about, you know, would I maybe solve this problem by going to clips? And I tried that a little bit, and I, I just can't wrap my brain around clips. So it, that didn't seem to really be it. It was, it was more something going on with the suspension kinematic.
2: Yeah. David, did you, did you um, suggest then a Nomad?
0: Yeah, I did. Um, So we talked about a few different bikes, and I was actually just kind of looking through our emails uh, earlier today, kind of in prep for this. And the Nomad was basically what I ended up suggesting, kind of giving a bit of back and forth. Um, And so glad to hear that that's worked out. Um, The bit about the um, Megatrail just hammering your feet, though, I still think is interesting, and we had chatted about that a little bit as well, and, like, you'd floated the idea of trying clips. I think I expressed a little bit of skepticism as to whether or not that was really going to get you anywhere or not, and, um, you know, I think it makes some sense that it would help perhaps a little bit. You can be a little lighter on your feet in some situations, but you're not having to rely on keeping them weighted as much for grip and stability on the pedals, but it's you know someone who goes back and rides clips way more than i do flats but goes back and forth to some extent um i do feel like just the technique isn't really that different once you're reasonably comfortable on both and so it is interesting that it had made just that dramatic a difference though going to a bike i know you attribute attributed to the significant difference in anti-rise and just better suspension performance particularly when Breaking in rougher sections, um, and would be curious to have you kind of talk through a little bit of the suspension progression that you've gone through on the Nomad too, because you've changed through a couple of different rear shocks on that bike at this point, right?
1: Yeah, it came with a DHX two and like a pretty stiff spring rate, right? and I already had a two thirty by sixty five story from my Gravity. and I planned on putting that on right away, so I basically took the, I think I did like one ride with the DHX2 while I waited for a set of bushings to get there to fit the storia. I rode that for a bit, and I did get it retuned uh, by uh, the Syndicate, yeah, so Syndicate told me they had not yet done a Nomad 6 tune yet. Or they had done one of them. So they kind of took a best guess at it based on, you know, recent Santa Cruz VPP tunes. I think they were probably basing it a little bit off of like a Mega Tower or something like that. Or not, yeah. Uh, Yeah, Mega Tower. Um, And it, it felt good. But what I sort of ran into was the same thing I was having, the same issue I was having on the Gorilla Gravity where I, I was running the, the rebound basically maxed out or one click for max. And it was, just, it, it, it was definitely like a very planted feeling shock, even with, you know, moderate, you know, I'd run the compression open, I'd run it more moderate. And it just like, it was, it didn't want to be lively. And so I knew that the um, new super deluxe coil shocks were supposed to be more of like a traditional feeling shock. And you know you can use the same coils on it with a appropriate adapter. And it's got the hydraulic bottom out. And it's got a lot of the same features. So I picked up one of those and tried it. And it felt much better. Um, or it felt more normal. Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't quite as supple, it wasn't quite as ground huggy, but it felt like it was a little bit more lively. And then maybe, I think it was about two months ago or so, I picked up one of the new Super Deluxe Airs to try on that bike also. And I really like that shock on that. Um, so like the, the coil I've run in the low setting and the air shock I've run in both the low and the high and I like it, the air shock, I like it better in the high setting, which is according to Santa Cruz, they're more like linear setup. And I've got it with just one token in there. And the one that I got ended up having the hydraulic bottom out. So with that one token in the high setting, I'm like maybe 28%, 30% sag, it's hard to see with the shock tunnel on those things, but. Like, I can't tell that I bought him out unless I know that I must have, like, if I case a gap or something and just like smack the heck out of the rear tire. But, you know, it's, it's lively and it just sticks to the ground really well. I did a road trip up with, um, visit a buddy in Ashland, Oregon, and we were riding time warp up there off of Mount Ashland. And I was riding out in front of him. And he said, man, your bike just looks like it's just hovering through all that, chunk up at the top he's like i'm super jealous i want to get one
2: <laughs>
1: and that was with the air shock so yeah
2: i remember that tail that trail being super chunky up top as well yeah it's not
1: like huge chunk but just like a lot of it and it's so fast so anyways it, that's sort of like the evolution on it and I, I like that shock i'm running it a bit faster on rebound than what rock suggests um but i'm running the the compression settings pretty close to the middle. And just with the EXT stuff, I wasn't, I always found I was trying to get it like more on the open side than what they had. And even whenever I sort of like request like a lighter tune or a faster tune, its it just was always like their their whole paradigm of how they set up the damper just seems to be a lot more like planted and sticky to the ground, which is good for some people, but.
2: Hey, Andy, I'm curious as to um, you mentioned earlier on this call, your, your body had a data acquisition system. Yeah. What's what's he got?
1: Uh, motion instruments. Oh,
2: interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't
1: it doesn't really like tell you what to do. It just gives you a whole bunch of like numbers in terms of uh, like velocity, shaft velocity, uh, compression and rebound, and then it shows you like dynamic sag. And it was hard to wrap my head around at first, but it's pretty cool. Like. It gets you thinking about your suspension as sort of like a cohesive package, you know, trying to keep the bike balanced front and aft as you're descending, um, and then then you you when you start to go through and adjust the clickers on that and sort of following some guidance on that, then you start to see oh okay so you know you speed up the rebound, that's what it feels like, or you close the compression and then you go and smash into a berm. Oh man, it like, it handles better because the rear end isn't just sinking down and you're slacking the bike out instead. It stays like more balanced, you know, things like that. So it's, yeah, it's tough to set up. Like, especially on bikes where there's not like a good mounting setup on the Nomad, I had to jury rig something where it's like Connecting from the bottom of the top tube to the front of the rocker link and um, it also kind of relies on either getting the leverage curve from the manufacturer and most of them don't want to give that up or you you have to like measure it yourself. So it's pretty far down the level of bike nerdery.
2: Yeah, that's that's next level.
0: And I mean, well, we've covered a bunch of stuff that seems like we've kind of got you in a good place with the frame and the suspension but i know there's some stuff you're still experimenting with and dialing in a little bit too so take us through some of that yeah
1: my biggest question and like i've been really curious to see what your your wheel testing um with the uh with the university in colorado sort of shows up i've been kind of going back and forth i've got two good sets of wheels i've got a set of the reserve 30 hd ALs and a set of we are one unions on hydras and they're both good. Um, I definitely appreciate like the stiffness and precision when I have the, the carbon wheels on the, the e-bike because it's so heavy. And I mean, it's the same thing as like, you know, those really want to have a big stiff fork on there. So they track well. Um, but at the same time, the, The aluminum wheels seem to be a little bit nicer on my hands. Like I swapped them back and forth and I feel like my hands are a little bit more beat up riding just say 2,500 feet on the Nomad with the carbon wheels than when I ride 5,500 feet on the e-bike with the aluminum wheels, riding the same trails like over and over again. Same tires, same fork, same shock, just you know, sort of set according to the bike. But I mean they've got similar amount of travel. I've got the same brakes on both bikes, same handlebars, same grips. And it's not quite like a full scientific study, but I just that's sort of the feeling of getting it. So like I was asking David about like what's the carbon wheels that feel most aluminum like without the aluminum weight penalty for pedaling it up the hill
2: <laughs> i i like the crank brother synthesis wheels in that department uh, i think they have a nice blend of that feel we're looking for it's it's always been interesting that as long as carbon wheels have been around we've been searching for that aluminum feel out of a carbon wheel whereas you could just have an aluminum wheel but we want the carbon and i do appreciate that as well uh, i do like that crank brother synthesis wheel that's that um, carbon. It's you know they have different spoke count front and rear and they're tuned for front and rear as well. So have you tried those at all?
1: I haven't. And the spoke count's an interesting thing. Is I was asking David also about that because I noticed that on the new We Are One rims they specifically spec a twenty eight hole on the front and a thirty two on the rear. And my unions are thirty two front and rear. And the aluminum wheels, they're also thirty-two front and rear, but I noticed like Santa Cruz on their carbon ones, they do twenty-eight front and rear on that. And so I was wondering, is Santa Cruz doing the twenty-eight front and rear because they're trying to save grams, or is it because like it actually feels better with the stiffer rim or yeah?
0: Yeah, my I think that they are doing the difference bow counts more for tuning in the total system stiffness just with a stiffer hoop on the carbon wheels and using fewer spokes to counterbalance that a little bit whereas on the aluminum ones they're going to a 32 to try to bring the stiffness up and um yeah i mean we've got we're plugging away at the blister labs wheel testing um and should have more to share on that quite soon actually but um I guess a little thing that I'll tease here is that we're finding some pretty interesting differences in stiffness across various aluminum and carbon wheels. You know, There's sort of a general perception that carbon wheels are pretty much as a category all stiffer, and it's a little less cut and dried than uh, one would expect with some, a lot of the more modern carbon wheels, where people are actually trying to bring the stiffness back down because particularly in the early days of carbon mountain bike wheels, like think early Envies and stuff, a bunch of those were really brutally stiff and harsh. And uh, people have been making big strides in keeping some of the things that are really nice about carbon wheels, lighter weight, good lateral stiffness, but making a wheel that's a lot less stiff vertically. And um, it's definitely getting to be the case where it's really no longer fair to just assume that a carbon wheel in general is going to be definitely stiffer than a given aluminum wheel it's um the waters are getting muddier we'll say sort of back to andy's question um i've got a lot less time on the crank brothers wheels so i don't have as uh clear an opinion on those one way or the other but um the forge and bond 30 ems that i just reviewed would be definitely on my short list for kind of one of the more compliant feeling, smoother carbon wheels out there. Um, and I think a good chunk of that is down to not just stiffness, but the damping characteristics, of the wheels too. They do feel they're not, They don't feel mega stiff for a carbon wheel for sure, but then they also just feel a bit more damped and muted than most, and that combination, I think, does make for a really nice ride feel, particularly for people who are just worried about a wheel feeling stiff and harsh and transmitting a lot of feedback. They mute out some things really nicely, so those would definitely be on my short list as well. Would you say
1: that there's something unique to the Forge and Bond take on that, or because I know they're all made by that same company? Those and the 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 Chris Kings and the Rebel Wheels and I think like the uh, the Evil also gets them made by the same guys. Is it just something about the like their thermoplastic layup? You think, or is it?
0: It's a bit of both. I think. I mean, the Kings are the other version of those wheels that i have the most time on and i do think that the forge and bond ones are a step up from the kings in that regard um but that's definitely not to say that the kings are not sort of trending that direction in terms of general characteristics also the um forge and bonds just take it a little further
2: and if you want to take it even further than that i I spent quite a bit of time on the zip Moto wheels um, that is the far end of that compliance spectrum for sure, where you've got a single wall rim and it's got you know, what they call sort of an ankle joint. So you get this sort of flex right at the rim bed. Um, and that is as compliant as I think and to some people going to be a little
0: bit too much of that. If you know what I mean? Unless you've got more questions on the wheel front, Andy might uh, move us along to a couple other things. So would be curious to hear, you know, that's big chunk on your uh, Nomad would be curious to kind of talk about the setup on your levo because well for one as already kind of covered a little bit you've started with a lower end build or mid-range build stock and changed a ton of stuff um and in the email when we were chatting about this conversation ahead of time you sort of said that you felt like you had had to change a lot of things on that bike to get it where you wanted but you weren't sure if there was anything that would have gotten you into a happy place more directly with a more stock bike so would be curious to have you talk about that a little bit and see what kind of things we would sort of have to suggest as far as uh, a potential nexty bike or get you more there without having to start with a complete bike and change half of it
1: so i knew that i wanted something in the 150 160 rear travel 160 170 front i knew i wanted a full power bike because, as you know, a working parent, you've got limited time, and uh, you want to get out there and ride as many laps as you can, as fast as you can. You know, you're maximizing. It's 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 a chairlift. Um, so I didn't want any part of those lightweight e-bikes. I know they have appealed to a small subset of people, but it's not me. Um, the stock bike. I ran it with a EXT Arma off the top, uh, because I don't really care for climb switches. And that one had an adjustable hydraulic bottom out and talking to the Seneca guys, they said that basically um, on a scale of like one to three, the stock stories have like a, a two in terms of amount of hydraulic bottom out support. The ARMAs could take you up to a three, like a little bit more, or it could drop it down to like a one, just like minimize it or maximize it a little bit more on either end. And I knew that the Levo is only sort of like moderately progressive. Um, I figured that like that extra bottom out might help. And then I started, so I put that on right off the bat because I had been running coils mostly for the last few years. I put a Zeb on up front, uh, and just because I had ridden my buddy's Levo that came with a 38 and I had ridden 36s before and even on like a regular trail bike, the 36 is pretty flexy, like fore and aft and like really noticeable when you get on the brakes. And I could only imagine what adding the heft of an e-bike behind that, what it was going to do to a 36. Um, So I started with that. And even with the extra bottom-out support, I was still clanging the the shock pretty well, um, running down around, you know, 28% sag. So I got a Cascade Link for that bike, and which bumped it up to 160 rear travel. Um, and that helped with the bottom out quite a bit, felt a lot better, but I had to go up 75 pounds in spring rate. So I was running a 575 instead of a 500. And that's because it's got a 55 millimeter stroke shock, mostly short stroke and long travel. Um, I played around with the geometry adjust cups on the headset. Uh, this stock one, I think with a Stock travel is like 64 and a half degrees up front, and then the slack one takes it down to I think 64 ish or so. And then you can, uh, or you can, and then you can like slack it another half degree or so if you use the low bottom bracket. And I did notice that I played around a little bit with the, the bottom bracket height, and it feel, felt pretty low even in the high position especially with all that extra weight and the bike just like wants to get into its travel a lot and so like when you're rolling over things that are somewhat in between a drop and in uh, like a, a rollover it's really easy to like bang the motor guard on that or um, you know when you're pedaling up sort of a little bit of a techie single track and there's like a rut that you're sort of going in it's really easy to bang the pedals on the ground even with the, the short cranks that it comes with. So I was kind of interested in trying a little bit higher. Um, so I put a 170 air shaft in there. So I ended up with a bike that was 170 front, 162 rear. Um, head angle's right around like 64. So it's with, this, with the neutral cup. So it's as if you were running the slack cup in the high position. The bottom bracket came up, and it feels a lot better to me like that. Um, it's more progressive. It's higher, so you're not pedal striking all the time. You're not banging the bottom bracket when you roll into steep things. It's not super slack, so that it still handles pretty well. And the higher bottom bracket with the extra weight, it actually feels—I feel a little bit better on like tight berms because like the heavier weight like makes it want to tip over into the corners. Like once you start it moving with your arms, then it wants to like fall into the corners a little bit better with the higher weight. That's sort of my impression.
2: That basically aligns with a lot of my experience on that, on the same bike. So we have the, we have the same spec. So uh, specialized turbo, Levo carbon comp, right? So that came with a 36 rhythm, and just the usual, you know, specialized parts mix on there. Is that sounds like what you have? Yeah, black. <laughs> Same bike. <laughs> yep, but it's got yeah. it's
1: got the full size battery, and it has the the nice LCD display on the top, and the good controller, yeah. and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with all the integration that that specialized does. It's a real cohesive package. Um, one of the things I do like, and it's a standout feature on that bike, that. Specialized, you know, TCU is really good. The motor is really good. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's quiet. It doesn't rattle a whole bunch going downhill. I've ridden with buddies
1: on Shimano drive bikes and sound like a shopping cart going down the hill. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been riding as well with, with other folks on e-bikes that have bigger batteries and it, and it compares just fine. Um, right up to the very end, you know, it's about, as to be expected, it's about 10% less range than let's say a Bosch uh, drive with a 750 watt hour battery, which is what I would expect being that that battery is almost 10% larger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, you know, um, I was going to ask you on that uh, Cascade link, did that link lengthen your chainstay?
1: You know, I didn't measure it. It says on their website that it doesn't change the stock geometry at all.
2: Interesting. Well, I'm assuming that it, that it doesn't, but I would think that it, it it probably does a
1: little bit, but
2: I don't know. Yeah, like it's something. Something yeah. had
1: to change. Well, right? I
2: mean, on on the one we have, and this is in a flash review that I put out just a while back. That I do feel that that 36 rhythm does get overwhelmed quite easily on that bike. And did you ever ride it in a stock, um, yeah, you know, components? No
1: with it with the rhythm no straight out went straight out. (laughs) took it off yeah i knew i wasn't going to get much money for it so like the the newer it is the
2: yeah the next one up the expert if i'm not mistaken in there uh had a 38 on it It has a 38 on it so that could have been an option for you when you were looking at that bike although it wasn't as um attractively priced
1: at the time yeah at the time the comp was the only one that was on sale it was like the comp and then like the next one down, which was with a smaller battery. But r- speaking with regard to uh, range, one thing I've noticed is my buddy has a Levo. His is like a higher end one. Um, he weighs about 20% more than me. When we're both riding in boost, same trails, he gets 20% less battery out of it. So, like, there's a really strong correlation between rider weight and battery usage definitely
0: yeah so simon i guess to be curious as kind of our resident e-bike guy what your thoughts would be on kind of potential other e-bike options for andy and i mean sounds like he's kind of got the levo in a decentish place but what comes to mind based on those various criteria
2: yeah and i'm kind of going back to your um, affinity towards uh, mixed wheel size bikes because um it seems like that's where you're at with both your um, your muscle bike and your e-bike. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at other bikes
1: specifically with an eye at mulleting them, like the Pivot, the, the long travel one. Like it would, it's conceivable to do it on that. And I looked at the Yeti. In that one, I would have used like the Cascade yoke adapt, no, the eyelet adapter on a DHX2 lengthens like the rear eyelet. Could have done it that way. Um, but you know really what came down to it a little bit is I, I do like the integration package and I don't understand why Specialized is the only manufacturer that gets that riders want to see an actual battery percentage rather than bars because you know if you've got four bars does that mean you've got 40% does it mean you've got 30% or does it mean you got 21% It it makes a big difference when you're about to start up for another lap. And I just really don't understand why that's so complicated.
2: You know, there's ways around that. Um, Interestingly, like on the, say, for instance, the Bosch system with their new integrated uh, top tube displays, you can not just Bluetooth your phone if you want to, if you want to get right down to the exact percentage of the uh, the battery, your phone can tell you that data. Um, And then it does change color. So it gets it within 10%. Like you said, still maybe not enough for another lap, but... Your phone can get you there. And I think most of them can get you there if you pair your phone via Bluetooth to these other systems. But not as easy as just toggling the, the TCU and telling you because one of the things I love about it is that you can customize that uh, that display. And I've done that with the one we have here and have different fields on each of the different screens, which is really, really fun, especially the one where you can see your own watt input in comparison to the bike's watt input and then your total power. Um, that what I find myself staring out on climbs too much.
1: Yeah. When I, when I got the e-bike out and I was sort of like learning to e-bike, one of the things is you kind of want to keep it in a certain cadence zone and a certain rider output zone to sort of maximize your, um, uh, ride time. And I use that sort of display. I probably don't pay too much attention to it anymore. Other than like on my way back to my house, there's one steep hill. I kind
2: of look to see how many watts I can put out on that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, going going back to to your your question of what could have been an option for you, I think you made the right decision to get that specialized at that price because you seem like the type of rider that likes to customize their own bike with their own parts and. Finding something in stock form that checks all the boxes would have been really difficult for you. So coming in, getting one at a sale price and a mid-level spec allowing you to upgrade kind of was the best option, I think. Besides, you would have spent twelve thousand dollars on a pivot to get to where you want to be. That's their pro build. So <laughs> there you are, right? And those are fabulous bikes. Well, we love the Shuttle uh, LT, and I'm I'm in love with the Shuttle AM right now. So. Great builds. There's no cut corners and it checks, every box, but it's going to cost a lot more.
1: Yeah. The Rocky mountain would have been an interesting one, but there's no dealers around me and the sort of like the elephant in the room is that every e-bike has a tendency to spontaneously stop being an e-bike and you got to have a shop nearby to handle the warranty support and there's no one within an hour or so of driving distance. It's like, why are you buying that?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a really good point. And so I suppose in that, in that note, you didn't, uh, you didn't consider any direct to consumer brands.
1: No. Cause I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars or something shipping my bike back to get repaired under
0: warranty. Fair. Fair enough. And well, sounds like you got that one pretty hard too, but, Andy, you also talked a little bit in the email when we were chatting about this, about kind of what a hypothetical next bike, third bike in the quiver might be. And so we'd be curious to hear what your thoughts would be on, broadly speaking, what you'd want to go, what kind of thing you'd be looking for in that, and have a little bit of a chat about where you might go next.
1: Yeah. So a fantasy bike, I'd be really curious to ride a shorter travel bike. Like, I think something with a good suspension kinematic but less travel and still like pretty aggressive geometry i think it would actually ride really well
0: on my local trails
1: because they're not like super chunky like most of the chunk just comes from brake bumps and them being hammered um none of the jumps are super huge uh and i think landing any of them would be fine as long as you just use good form so i'd be really curious to try something you know in like a 130, 120 millimeter range. I had one of the V2 smugglers um, in aluminum, and that was a really fun bike, except that it was, uh, the aluminum version had a really pronounced dogleg in the seat tube, and I couldn't run anything more than a 150 millimeter dropper post. And it was just really obnoxious to descend on and I knew someone that was looking for a bike and so I hooked him up with that one. But that bike was really fun. So like some things in that sort of range that would I'd be curious to ride. I've been really intrigued by the Druid, like the version one and more so probably the version two. What concerns me with that is the lengthening rear center. Like it might feel like a much bigger bike than it is. The newer Smuggler, Seems really interesting. And then like Santa Cruz 5010, the new Mullet one, I think that that would be a blast to ride.
0: Yeah. So I guess first things that come to mind based on, you know, what we sort of covered as far as your general preferences for a shorter travel bike. One, yeah, the Smuggler, I think, would be on my short list. It's just a really nicely rounded, kind of aggressive, but not over the top 130 travel bike. Pedals very well. Really lively and fun, but it's not gonna feel like a super twitchy Xe bike in comparison to stuff that you've been coming off of. And um I think strikes me something that would be a nice step away from those and you know something that feels distinctly different without being such a huge gulf between them as for it to be a major adjustment and kind of tricky to pop back and forth between if that makes sense i unfortunately have not been on the v2 druid um and only have a little bit of time on the v1 um but i've ridden the dreadnought a lot full review of that ups on the site and it's kind of a quirky bike. I think it's really good at going fast in a straight line and just mowing stuff down. But the dramatically lengthening rear center and very long chain stays on the large that I would ride, you'd be on a medium, which is a big step down in chainstay size. So it might feel a little more balanced there. But I had a hard time with the handling on that bike, frankly, and a uh, little bit reluctant to Get too excited about that. Hoping to be able to get on a V2 Druid sometime pretty soon here. We're working on making that happen. So hopefully we'll have more to say about that at some point. But can't comment too directly just yet. The 5010 I've ridden a little bit. And I think could be fun, particularly if you want something that feels really especially nimble and easy to throw around uh in comparison to say the smuggler the smuggler is definitely a bit more stable it's pretty lively in terms of the suspension performance still or it can be if you set it up to be but it's just a bit more stable in terms of its handling than the 5010 and the 5010's chainstays aren't super short by any stretch but kind of given some of what you've said about liking longer stays on mullet bikes, and i definitely fall into that same camp. I would have at least a little bit of concern about the 5010 feeling kind of short and just quick and easy to slash around and square stuff up, but not feeling quite as neutral and intuitive in terms of how it handles is what you might be hoping for. I mean, the flip side of that is that if you want something that feels really different and want to make the short travel bike feel super playful and very distinctly stand out from what you've got, then maybe that turns into more of a plus than a downside, but it just depends on what direction you want to take things there.
1: Yeah. I expected that short chain stays would come up when I mentioned that bike. And I actually thought about it. it might be a kind of a positive because I know that it's going to make the corners feel really squared off. And for a goof off, bike, I think that that could be a really nice trade, just like be a total Kid and smash corners and spray leaves all over the place. And I, I'm a poor manualer at worst or at best. And having trying to manual on a uh, 440 plus chainstay at 5.8 is really something. And I, I wasn't ever good manualing on the 430 or whatever was on the, uh, the Gorilla Grabby, but it was definitely a lot easier. So just, I I do know that I don't think that I'd want to go for like a full down country bike. I know a guy that has an Epic Evo and he, whenever he rides that after riding his other bikes, his comment at the bottom of every run is I almost died because it's so light. And he he said, I nearly went to the moon off of that jump, or "I, I almost went into that tree because it's just. They're so light in comp- comparison, and if you pump it the same amount that you're used to pumping a 170 bike, you're just going to go flying. And at the same time, you're just going to have the fillings rattle loose on you from those little SID forks and, and SID Lux shocks.
0: Yeah, I was shying away from that kind of class of bikes for exactly that reason, sort of, you know, given what we've already covered about you. Liking bigger bikes in general, so sort of trying to thread that needle of finding something um, that's definitely a smaller, quicker bike and still feels like something that you're used to and's not going to just feel completely alien when you hop back and forth between them. So, um, I, yeah, I do think you're on the right track with Smuggler or 5010, kind of depending on which flavor of shorter travel bike you're shooting for exactly kind of as previously discussed. And those probably are my two best ideas at the moment.
1: Have you ridden the Tallboy at all? Yeah. Does that change very much from the 5010 or is it the 5010 just basically a mullet version or do they feel considerably different?
0: No, it's it, the 5010 is definitely more bike uh, and feels more. Yeah. It's more stable also kind of more playful at the same time in a way The the tall boy just feels a bit more focused on being a long legged XC bike that can cover a lot of ground really well. But it, um, the 5010 definitely works best with kind of a higher bar position, more upright setup and being ridden more like a bigger bike, just in a smaller, more nimble package. And the tall boy feels pretty distinct from that.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Andy, I think your, your challenge here is just from your history of um, what you do to your bikes is getting one of these bikes and not resisting the urge to put a bigger fork on it and a uh, cascade link. And next thing you know, you've made it a long travel bike. So I, I think this is, that's why it's like it'd be especially important to choose a bike that doesn't need really any suspension upgrading. And the one that comes to mind for me is a the, is the Commencal Tempo, um, Olin's edition. Uh, that's a really good bike that's exactly in the range of the travel you're looking for. That's a 140-125 bike. Um, and does all those things you just talked about and is I, I really like that bike. Yes, it's going to be an aluminum bike, and yes, it's going to be a little heavier than your um, I'd say the 5010 or the smuggler for that matter, but it it hides it really well. And it's a great pedaling, great riding bike, has an overall really good lively feel, and um it's right in that it's right in that travel category you're looking for, which I would say doesn't need any suspension upgrades at that point.
1: Do you know if they addressed the headset cable routing? I thought that I heard something that they were going to give you an option to do sensible routing on that bike.
2: David loves internal headset routing. <laughs> As a killer of headset bearings, I, I won't buy a bike that has that. That that's a deal breaker for you then. Um, yeah, because no, it is internal. I like it. It's a really quiet system. The bike overall is very quiet from front to rear. So that's an especially you know strong point for it, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I respect that stand, Andy. Uh, I'm someone who, I mean, I'm on the record as just preferring fully external routing to make everything easier. And I just don't give a shit about the aesthetic part of it. But um, yeah, so the tempo is still fully headset routing on the meta they have relented and given an option for not doing that but um tempo i think they're my read on it is that they got enough backlash on the tempo that when the meta followed with the same overall layout as the tempo they uh decided that they were gonna not force that one but the tempo is regrettably still headset only And then uh, I believe you said before that the, the Canyon,
1: what's the Canyon bike that's 125? Oh,
0: the Spectral 125.
1: Yeah, that that bike, it kind of felt like it was constantly trying to write checks that it couldn't cash.
0: Kind of, yeah. I mean, I think that one basically just feels a little bit like a, it's a hard sensation to describe, but it's like, it's trying a little bit too much. Short-stroked long bike? Kind of, yeah. it It's it's a 125 rear travel bike with a 144 and very aggressive geometry. But I think in large part just down to the suspension kinematics, it feels like it's not as lively and snappy as you would want from a short travel bike, but then just still only has 125 millimeters of rear travel and kind of doesn't do the short travel bike things well enough to make up for the fact that it doesn't have more travel. And so it's kind of in a weird no man's land of being pretty aggressive and not super efficient and not super lively and snappy, but still not a big bike either. So just to
1: back up a second, the reason why I was able to get two bikes in the new year was my wife's a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. And they went to the Super Bowl this year. I don't really care much about football, but she wanted to go see them. So she got a ticket to go see the Super Bowl. And I
2: got a new bike frame. So the Eagles need to go to the Super Bowl again (laughs) this year so that I can get a... You got an e-bike out of the deal as well, right? (laughs) You got the best end of that one, I'd say.
0: Okay, so moral of the story is that we're going to root for the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl so that Andy can get Either a fifty ten or a smuggler, depending on kind of where you land on what you want out of that little bike. Um, Yeah. And uh, we'll have to see how that goes. All right. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good note for us to wrap up on. Um, Andy, this has been a lot of fun and just cool to kind of catch up and have a bit of a rundown on how things are going with your whole setup and talk through some new ideas for what comes next when the Eagles make that Super Bowl repeat appearance. So... Been awesome. And Simon, great chat with you as always, too.
2: Yeah, thank, thanks, Andy. Uh, your your level of, um, of bike knowledge uh, is far superior to the most folks that would have been ridden as long as you have. But you've really gone down the rabbit hole well.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a few spreadsheets involved in. And...
0: Well, that's the kind of bike nerding we approve of around here. So it's been a great time. Thanks for coming on and doing this. And uh, we'll have more of these coming down the line. So stay tuned. Cool. looking forward to it all right that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas and as always we would very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in apple podcast to keep the show going and growing i'd also like to say thanks to andy and simon for the conversation thanks to taylor ahern for producing the episode and thanks to you for listening from all of us at blister please take good care of yourself and everybody else and we'll be back again next week bye everybody